at your neighbor and say, where's Waldo? You ever remember where's Waldo? I have a picture for you of some people. Would, would, you, would you help me this morning? If you would help your pastor this morning, I need you to find Eric and I need you to find Susie, all right? So look at that picture, if you would, and, and the first person that finds that, I, I, I would say I have a piece of candy, I'll throw it to you, but uh, some of you teachers would have that all down pat. My wife would be ready to, here you go, and to throw you a piece of candy, you know, if you got, got it right. But can you find Eric and Susie? All right, now this might make for a long service if nobody can find them. Anybody found them, Eric or Susie? Eric or Susie? Here. Well, I, I doubt that anybody will find them this morning because how can you identify someone? First, we don't know who Eric is, right? We don't know who Susie is. In fact, we don't know who any of these people are because I just found them on Google and put a slide up and there was no labels. <laughs> I have no earthly idea what their names are. I have no earthly idea who Eric or Susie are. I just thought of those names right here in the moment just now. But in order to identify somebody, in order to find somebody, in order to know who somebody is, I would have had to have given you some description, right? I would have had to have given you, okay, we're looking for someone who has dark brown long hair with glasses, you know, with a pink shirt on. I would have to give you something or I could have to say he has a beard and he, his, his hair is receding or, or whatever. I would have to give you descriptions. And what I find this morning in the Old Testament that Christ is all through the Old Testament when we know what we're looking for. Or can I say it better when we know who we're looking for. And as I go through this sermon series of Christ in the Old Testament, I hope that it will help me and I hope that it will help you as we identify who Christ is, who he, who he is in the Old Testament, who he is now in the New Covenant times, and who we are looking for. And so last week we found Christ right at the very beginning. We found Christ right there in the Garden of Eden and the foreshadowing that Christ was going to come to destroy sin and get rid of the curse of sin that is all around us, but he's already now in our times, he has come. He has already died on the cross. But we see in Genesis 3.15 the first prophecy of Christ. But all through the Old Testament, if we know who we're looking for, we will find Christ through the Old Testament. Look at the next slide. Now you recognize this guy, don't you? There's Waldo. There's old Waldo. Now he's a little, he's a little aged in this picture, like the Waldo that I remember was a little younger, but that's been a long time ago. So, so this, is, this is the Waldo who's a little, little older in life now. You recognize that red and white striped shirt, don't you? And so when I would say, where's Waldo? And we would put all those. Anybody ever played that game? Or is it, I don't know if it's a game or if you ever done that activity and you flip through the pages and, and you're looking to find Waldo. But we can find Waldo because we know what he looks like, that distinctive shirt that he wears. So, so as we go through this series, we are looking for Jesus. And when we, when we know what the plan was, the plan of salvation, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and the beauty of Christ and who he is and what he does, we can find him all through 
the Old Testament, through the Psalms, and through the New Testament. And it is one cohesive book that all points to Christ. So instead of saying, where's Waldo, we should say, where's Christ? Where's Christ? I pray that during this series and even beyond this in our lives, that we'll develop such a familiarity with Christ, that we will recognize him in the scriptures, but even just as important, we'll recognize him in our lives. We'll recognize him working in us and through us and around us and realize, oh, this is Christ. This is Christ working in me. This is Christ working through me. Let's look at the verse for the, for the sermon this morning. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. It says, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, Moved with godly fear. You're probably somewhat familiar or maybe very familiar with the story of of Noah. We see that God spoke to Noah, impressed upon Noah of things that were not seen. The things that were not seen was God told Noah, it's going to rain. It had never rained before. Now, I like rain. Does anybody else like rain? Three and a half of you like rain, and the rest kind of moaned. I don't know about it. I like rain. I like rain, especially at night when I turn my fan on to get that white noise, and all the curtains are closed, and I shut the door, and the lights are off. And if there's a light on down the hallway, I have to go turn that off, get everything off, and you hear the rain coming down. I'm the only one that likes that rain. Some of you do. But I like rain, but it had never rained In Noah's day, no rain, but God impressed upon him, it's going to rain. And in fact, it's not just going to rain, it's going to flood. And when you study that out, what happened was the fountains of the deep, things underneath the earth, also burst loose. So during that time, the rain was coming down, but there were fountains of the deep of waters coming up. And so God flooded the entirety of The world, it had never rained, it had never flooded, but Noah was moved with godly fear when God impressed it upon him that it was going to rain, that it was going to flood. It was going to be the judgment of God. That would preach to us in this day in which we live because we know that if we read the scripture, there's going to be a time when God is going to judge this world again. Now, he promised through the rainbow, and, in, and the rainbow is still God's symbol. Somebody say amen to that this morning. The, the, the rainbow still means that God will never destroy the world again with water, but he will bring judgment again on the world through fire, and everything we know will be burned up with fire. But we don't have to be part of that judgment if we know Christ as our Lord and Savior. But Noah was moved with godly fear as God put up on him that this world is so wicked around you, Noah. And everybody's just doing their own thing and they're eating and they're drinking and they're marrying and they're giving in marriage and and there's violence and there's evil. And and, and Jesus said that it would be this way in the coming of Christ. So when we study about Noah and we see the things that were happening in Noah's day, and we could make a list of those things, then we could come over here to our day and we could say, is this happening now? Is there violence now? Is there immorality now? Has evil increased now? Could we be living in a time right now that is very comparable to the days of Noah? 
If that's the case, then that's a sign of the time that Christ could very well soon come again. Christ said that himself. But Noah was moved with godly fear about all of this. The rain's coming. The judgment's coming. All these things are coming upon the world. And so he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He prepared a big boat that was probably a big rectangle. And when you study out the dimensions of of this boat, of this ark, it was several big collegiate size, if I could say it this way, collegiate size basketball courts over and over and over. This was a huge undertaking. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He preached for a hundred years and no one was saved. Can you imagine that? Nobody was saved. Nobody would listen to this preacher of righteousness. What tenacity that Noah had. Noah must have really known he had heard from God, right? Noah must have really known that God was going to do what God said he would do. Because nobody listened to him. But the Bible said that he prepared the ark for the saving of his household. And when they got on the ark, he took his children, his wife, and their families onto the ark with him. If I save this whole world, but I lose my family, what have I accomplished? Is that all right this morning? If I save this whole world, but I lose my own family. And so let me preach to all of us this morning that we need to build an ark, if you will, for the saving of our households. We need to do everything we can to reach those around us. But first and foremost, we need to do everything we can to prepare an ark for the saving of our households. By which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. We see at the beginning of this story, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the coming judgment, in the midst of God speaking to Noah, there's a little scripture, there's a little passage that says, and there's a slide for this, Noah found favor or grace. What? In the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of the evil and the violence and the wickedness, for some reason Noah was able to still be a righteous man. And when God looked over the world, somehow Noah stood out and God said, I can't wipe him out with everybody else. That will preach to me and that will preach to you today that we can serve God regardless of how unrighteous the world is around us. Regardless of all the influences that are around us, regardless of all the antichrist spirits, and the New Testament talks about that the time will come. There, there's such a pre- prevalent antichrist spirit among society today. Despite all of that, we can still, if we want to, if we desire to, we can still be like Noah and be righteous. And Noah found grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found approval, support. Goodwill that was beyond himself. God said, all right, I see you, Noah. 
I see that you can't save yourself. I see that you're trying down there. And I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to tell you to build this ark. And I'm going to tell you to preach. And I'm going to tell you to to save your family and get your family in this ark. And try to extend the invitation to whoever will listen. You have found favor in my sight. You see, we have an advantage over Noah. Noah was in early times. We're living in the new covenant times. We live in a time of of attic grace. We live in the new covenant. Christ has already died and, and the sin debt has already been paid and we can live in a new covenant. And what this is, this message of the gospel, we can find favor in the eyes of the Lord through the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Not not an historical figure, not a great teacher, not, not oh, I believe in God. That, that's the big thing today. People say, I believe in God. Oh, I believe in God. Oh, I believe in Jesus. But have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you fa- placed your life in Jesus? You know, the Bible says the devil believes and trembles. That tells me the devil's a little bit better off than some people who say they believe, but yet they do nothing about it. The devil believes, the devils believe and tremble. It it scares them because they know the power of God and they know they're not right and they're on the wrong side of things. The devils believe and tremble. It takes more than just us saying, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a higher power. I even believe in Jesus. He was a good man. No, no, no. Have you put your faith and your trust and given your life to him in a personal relationship? Somebody say amen this And see, I'm coming a little harsh right there, but it's a beautiful thing, really. It's a beautiful thing when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl will say, I am giving my heart, my life, my sins to Jesus Christ, and I am going to embark in a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Noah had a relationship with God. We can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we find this favor of God, then we find peace with God. Have you ever had peace? Have you ever had a time when you didn't have peace? Does anybody know what I talk about to not have peace? Does anybody know what I talk about to have, be stressed out or to, or to feel? What about this? Do you know the feeling of having the burden of sin and wrongdoing in your life? Have you ever felt, felt that? We, and we can't do anything about the sins we have committed in ourselves. The sins we've committed, the shame, the guilt, the burden of sin, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Like in Gordonsville one day, I pulled my van, thought I was being helpful, add a little room for extra parking, pulled over into the, into the yard, and it was, my wife said, I, I don't know what you were thinking pulling over into there. I thought, well, it was just, it was just ground. I was stuck. Got in, and the wheels went like this, But they did not move. And the mud went like this, and it did move. (laughs) And the van was stuck in the mud. That's kind of like us in our sin, 
You know, the sin is dirty, it's nasty, it's all over everything. It's just flopping all over us, and we're stuck. And in ourselves, we cannot do anything about it. But when we come to Jesus Christ, it's the miracle, the beauty of the greatest miracle ever of salvation. When we come to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin, we can become unstuck. We get out of that mud and we get cleaned up, not in ourselves, but he puts his righteousness on to us. He imputes, he puts on to us his righteousness. You see, when we find favor in the eyes of the Lord, we find the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that burden of sin is lifted off of us. Oh yes, I regret every sin that I have committed in my life. I regret it, but I no longer feel the burden of it because it has been lifted off of me. So I have found that peace. And then thirdly, when I find the favor of the Lord like Noah found that grace, that favor in the sight of the Lord I find the person, I find the peace but then I find a purpose can I preach right here for just a few minutes Noah found focus if I could say it that way in the eyes of the Lord or Noah found focus from the Lord faith brings focus Noah is listed in Hebrews 11 as one of the heroes of the faith. Now, faith will bring focus into our lives when we place our faith into Jesus Christ. I heard one say, somebody say this just the other day. It was a very fair question. It was a very fair statement. I think it was in our Bible study at the pizza parlor the other night, I think, is when it was said. And somebody said the comment like this, is this all that there is? Have you ever asked yourself about that in life? Is this all that there is? You get up in the morning and you hit the snooze button three or four times and you rush to get ready for work and you put everything together and you carry whatever you carry out the door and you try to make your coffee and you get to the car and you forgot to pull it in the garage and it is iced over, kind of like me this morning, the frost caught me this morning when I, I forgot to put the car in the garage and went outside, frost, you know, and so you have to go down the neighborhood kind of, you know, looking like that, and, and you say, I see it, you know, and you're watching it, I, I like to watch it as it, you know, the windshield is clearing, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're like, oh, that's not too bad now. I got a hole that's this big, and it was just this big. I, I get on the road now. I can do it. Emily, don't you do that. You clear it off before you clear it off before you go. But you kind of, you know. But you say, is this all that there is? And you get on 29, and you hit 15 red lights, and, and you, you get to work, and you scramble in, and you do, you know. And, and it's easy for us in life, in this rat race of life sometimes, to say, is this it? Is this it? Is this all that there is? But when I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, but also my personal Lord who directs my life, when I put my faith in Christ, he brings a focus to my life. And within that focus to my life, I realize that I was created by him for a purpose that is from him. 
You this morning were created by Him and you have a purpose from Christ. And when we place our faith into Christ, we find a focus for our lives. And oh, how the generations that are coming behind us and the young people of this community need to hear that there is a purpose for your life. There can be a focus for your life through Jesus Christ. You are not here by accident. And to answer the question, is this all that there is? No, that's not all that there is. There is a joy. There is a personal relationship with Christ that we can live within throughout this life. And we have a God-given purpose down deep on the inside. Many times that purpose and that passion in our life will manifest itself in our desires, our, what, do you, are there things sometimes that keep you awake at night that you just get so excited about doing? For me, sometimes I preach my best sermons laying there at night. My wife asleep in the bed until I, she accuses me of moving a lot until I move and just startle her a little bit. But I preach sometimes my best sermons in the middle of the night. Why? Because that's a passion that's in my heart. I remember as a little child doing chores around the house and having little sermons running through my mind even as a, as a little child. And they might have been better than the sermons now. I don't know. But what's your passion? What keeps you awake at night? What, what do you want to get your hands on? What do you want to do? What are those things? And then think, okay, God, how can I use them for your glory? Is that all right this morning? I, I, I read about a lady this week, who was a writer. And she loved to write, even from being a young person. And God used her to write things in Great Britain that eventually brought about the abolition of slavery. But she used her gift of writing for the glory of God. I, I also, just yesterday, watched a little sermon clip of a man who said his dad came in when he was a child and he put a piece of paper in front of him just one random day and he told him a Bible story and he drew a picture and he had never seen anybody draw a picture but from that day on he was obsessed with I'm an artist, I am an artist and then he uses that within his ministry and God has opened many doors. What is it that God has gifted you with? What is it that God has stirred you up with? Take that, put your faith to it, put it to God and say I want to use that in my life to bring you glory and honor. Is that all right this morning? There are so many ways that we can serve God. There are so many ways that we can glorify God. And if God has blessed you to be a good cook, then cook something great and take it to your pastor and serve the Lord. <laughs> I'm just halfway joking on that. <laughs> but what is it that God has gifted you with? What is it that gives you passion? Placing our faith in Christ will give us focus in our lives. It will cause us, as it focuses our lives, it will cause us to filter out things that shouldn't be there. If I, if I take, what is it, a strainer, and you put the spaghetti noodles and all that stuff in it, but, but you take it and you hold it over the sink and everything strains, drains out of it, little holes all around the bowl, and it all drains out except what you need and what is beneficial to what you're doing, that's what happens when we place our faith in Christ and we're really seeking him. He will filter out those things from our lives that shouldn't be in our 
lives. That focus, that placing that faith in Christ filters out. And then it gives us also a follow through. A follow through to live for God. Faith is a verb, not a noun. I'm very leery of folks, and I'm not their judge, but folks that just maybe come forward one time and say, I'm giving my heart to the Lord, or somebody that says, yeah, I I gave my heart to the Lord, but then there's no change in the life. When you read Paul's theology about that, Paul would be very skeptical about that. James would be very skeptical about that. James said, faith without works is what? Dead. But when I've placed my faith and I really say, God, I I want you to forgive my sins. Christ, I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to be Lord of my life. When I place that faith in him, then there's a follow through in my life. And I begin to try to serve God to the best of my ability. If that's all right, say amen this morning. There's a change of my motives. There's a change of my desires. I'm not saying that I'm perfect I start working towards personal sanctification and start working towards personal holiness. But that desire has changed and shifted and I've been converted. And and there's a follow through to my faith. This could come in many different ways as we follow through and we serve the Lord. But I want to close it out talking about this particular topic because it fits the the theme of this church as we're praying for the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of this church and of this community. Noah found his own family for the Lord. You could look at Noah as a preacher and you could say he was a a colossal failure. He preached all those decades of time over and over and over again. And nobody got saved. But his family did get saved. When the flood started coming down, he was able to take his three sons and their wives and his own wife. And they got into the ark and they were saved. His family was saved. And I ask us this morning, I ask myself this morning, what are we doing, if I can say it this way, to, to try to build an ark of safety for our families, our offspring, our, their offspring? What, what are we, are we living the life before them? Are we, are we training them? Are we, are we setting a pattern forth in our own lives of living before them? What are we doing in our lives? Are we praying for them. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, was moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Understand that we can only do what we can do, right? And as children grow up, they make their own decisions and we can't control them. So I'm not, I'm not getting into those waters, but I, what I'm saying is let us do what we can do. On our end, let it be, maybe this is a better way of saying it, let it be a priority in our lives. Is that all right? Let it be a priority in our lives to do what we can can do. Because the ark is a place of safety and a place of salvation. I want to put that picture of people back up on the screen as we close this morning. We're going to transition in just a moment to Holy Communion. But as Noah built the ark, I already mentioned some of the massive dimensions of basketball court over basketball court over basketball court, if I can say it that way. Huge, probably a big rectangular box. One door, 
one door because there's only one way to salvation through Jesus Christ. There's only one way in. When they went in, God shut the door, showing that it is God indeed who saves us and not we ourselves. It is God who puts us his hand upon us. But there was some item that, that I hadn't thought a whole lot about. There's a, a verse in there that says something about pitch, pitch, pitch. Like it's mentioned like a couple, two, three times. And, and I hadn't paid a whole lot of attention through the years. I've thought about it as probably some goopy substance that was put over the ark to like seal the ark. And that's really what the pitch was. But if you study that word out, that word pitch is the same version of a Hebrew word that is used in other places that means atonement. Atonement. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no what remission of sin. When we talk about that as new believers, new covenant believers, we are in Christ's atonement through his atoning blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. And I believe it's a picture here of Noah and the ark when God said, take the pitch and put it, apply it. Think about the Hebrew children when he told them, take the blood and apply it on the doorpost. He told them, told Noah here, take this pitch and cover the entirety of the ark with this pitch. It's a representation of the blood of Christ because this pitch was sealing the ark. This pitch was sealing the ark so that nothing could get in and nothing could get out. And as believers, the Bible tells me that I am sealed right by his blood until the day of redemption. His blood has been applied over my heart. And nobody can take that blood off of my heart. Nobody could run up to that ark and pull that pitch off of that ark because that pitch bonded with the ark and was solid upon the ark and they were covered in protection and in the atonement of the pitch. And I ask you this morning, are you covered in the protection and in the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood? Has the blood been applied to your heart just like the pitch was applied and it created the safety and the barrier and the atonement and the saving and the salvation of Noah and his family? Has the blood of Jesus Christ been applied to your personal heart and your personal life? And then I ask kind of a twofold question. What about the people? Who are around us? What about the people in our families? What about the people that God has given us influence with? What about the people that God has given us relationship with? Are they in the ark of safety? Has, have they allowed Christ to apply the blood upon their hearts and upon their lives? And if not, what can we do? What can we do? What role can we play in telling them the good news of the salvation and the safety of the atonement? Of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning as the praise team? Comes?